In Philippians 3, verse 13 through 14, very familiar passage of scripture. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward, that stretching, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press. Turn to somebody and say, press, press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I absolutely love that. Everyone say the upward call. Would you read that with me? Oh, it's not on the screen now. It was a moment ago. The upward call. There it is. The upward call. Would you do that? Say that. The upward call. Amen. Anytime you connect with God, he elevates your life and lifts you upward. Upward. Trust me. You can't connect with God and stay at the same level. And you certainly want to, will not go the wrong direction. He elevates your life. All seven component areas of your life get transformed and elevated. Whether that is your family, your social life, your mental life, uh, in terms of your emotions, your cognitive or learning abilities. Whether it's in terms of the spiritual component of who you are, the physical aspect of your being, the financial. All seven elements that comprise your life get impacted when you connect with God and you experience elevation. Luke 1 and verse 37, another familiar portion of scripture that I'll read now, but make application with later. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Nothing. The circumstances of this verse are Mary protesting to the angel saying, I can't have a child. I don't, I've never known a man. And so she is saying that with people, humanity, some things just can't happen. And the angel said, yep, you're right. There's some things you can't do because there are limits you cannot exceed as a human being. But with God, nothing will be impossible. God can do all things. Amen. As an example of what I'm talking about right now. In surgery at this moment, there's a young man, Colby Vondenstein, that we've been praying for, who had COVID, destroyed his lungs and his kidneys, had the cytokine storm reaction where your body's immune system becomes so agitated that it fights against the organs of your own body, destroyed his lungs, destroyed his kidneys, 24 years old, two small children. Right at this moment, he is undergoing surgery. Yesterday morning... I received a text from his mom, Sandy Mendez. She and Charles are just so stressed. And Kobe's wife, Tori, and their two little kids about his condition. And the doctors called and told her, yesterday morning, Kobe is getting weaker. He's not going to survive but just a few more days. And she said, Pastor, please pray. And I sent out an immediate text to our prayer team and an email And they, in turn, contacted our intercessors, and many of you did receive communication from them. And do you know what happened? She sent me a text last night as I was about to go to sleep. She said, Kobe has just been given a perfect donor match. And he's getting two lungs and kidneys right now. Right now. 
God be praised for that. Somebody ought to shout praises to the Lord. We praise God. This disease has been horrific. I see Amy and Chris and, and of course, Sister Ted Zentley here. We recently lost one of our longtime ministers, members of this church. And his service will be in just about, well, I guess about what? That's about 12 days from now, 11 or 12 days. And Chris Tetzen will be on a Saturday. I guess that's 13 days. And my heart breaks for those we've lost. I've got a son in ministry right now, Kent Brown, that is critically ill. But I want to tell you this. If we did lose somebody, I want to say to every one of you that have a loved one that's in the hospital right now, With God, nothing is impossible. I still believe that God is a healer. Can I hear somebody say amen? And devil, you may think you have knocked us down, but I want you to know we're getting back up again. Amen. We might have lost some, but we're fighting the good fight of faith all along the way. And the reason I mention this is because I'm in a series entitled Momentum. And today I want to speak from the subject momentum builders with your heads bowed. Father, I ask that you would speak, that you would allow me to hide behind the cross and that you would direct the words that are about to be spoken. Let them come from the heart of God and minister to the needs that are here today. We ask in Jesus name and everybody shouted and said, amen. Watch this. You've seen it before. 
We watched as the rocket took off and made history. That was a momentous occasion. Later, as I grew up, I learned that there's a procedure they follow. They don't come like that rocket you just saw a moment ago, straight out of the box. You got to build them. And so there's a, an assembly place located there right next to Cape Kennedy where the rocket is assembled from parts produced across the nation. And then they put it on a large trailer that's pulled by a tractor trailer rig, a semi. And that tractor trailer rig, rig goes down a gravel road. And if I remember correctly, and I, I'm sure of this, They are not allowed to exceed five miles an hour on the journey from where it was constructed and built to the launch site. You can go between three to five miles an hour, but do not exceed five miles an hour. When you watch the countdown and the blast off occurred, did you... Notice and was it gripping to you in the same way it always has been to me? Every time I've watched one of those, I've thought the same thing. Man, look at that thing struggle to get off the ground. Because you watch the countdown and finally you get down 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, right on down to 1. And the, the rockets are ignited. The, jet in, the, the rocket engines are, are firing. There's this cloud that is of steam that is thrown up around it and, and smoke. And, and you see the fire coming out of those mighty rockets and it doesn't do anything at first. It's just struggling. And then it begins to make its way higher. It claws its way up. That always impacted me when I learned later that it weighed 4.4 million pounds. I understood a little better the difficulty in overcoming Earth's resistance and the gravitational pull. It had to fight to overcome inertia and then slowly gain momentum until at last fighting its way higher and higher It picked up enough speed and momentum to overcome the gravitational force field of this planet we live on. We are in the third week of a series on momentum. And I'll tell you this much for sure. You need momentum in your life. We all love momentum, don't we? In our finances, our marriage. But how many of you have ever felt like that rocket You were doing everything you could and all engines were firing and you were just clawing to get off the ground and something wouldn't let you go. Nobody but nobody can help you create momentum in your life like God can. Hallelujah. It's kind of like the meme that Pastor Andrew sent me the other day earlier this week. Apparently... The New York Times published a recipe for gumbo. What? New York Times way up there in the Northeast Coast. Look, I'm from Louisiana. I'm a a Cajun. Amen. Look, I know what gumbo is. I know about sauce pecan etouffee and I was raised on that. Amen. And listen, the meme says... I do not want a gumbo recipe from the New York Times. 
I want a gumbo recipe from an old woman named Momo Thibodeau Landry. Who can bare knuckle box an alligator while reciting the Holy Rosary in Cajun French. (laughs) That's where I want a gumbo from. And when it comes to momentum, nobody but nobody can help you understand momentum in your life and how to create it like God can help you understand it. And the reason is, is because he's the creator of your life. And he designed you to reflect his glory. Everyone enjoys those moments of positive momentum, whether it's in your career, your relationships, your family, your finances. We all love it when the big mo goes our way. But momentum is like that rocket. It takes effort to get it started. And it doesn't just happen because you prayed a prayer or two or did one or two right things. And I think you know what I'm talking about when I say this. It takes even greater and more sustained effort to overcome negative momentum. Creating momentum is one thing, but when you're sliding back down the hill in the wrong direction, you not only have to overcome negative momentum just to get back to ground zero, you gotta have more effort exerted to be able to create momentum from there. And haven't you been there in your life? Or in spite of everything you're doing, the tires are spinning and you're slowly sliding. You ever done that in a car on one of these mud slick roads here in Texas or Louisiana? You get in a rut and you start spinning your tires and the next thing you know, the back end of the car starts sliding around toward the ditch. That is a sickening feeling, isn't it? Somebody's going to have to pull me out of this. Negative momentum in your life is when your finances are not only not going in the right direction, they're going in the wrong one. Negative momentum is when you're not only failing to win the battle against weakness and sin, but it seems like you're losing ground instead. We've all been there. It's when you're not only not gaining momentum in your marriage, it looks like she can't stand you at all. And it's getting worse. Somebody said amen to that. But I want you to know that even though momentum is going in the right direction for somebody in this building today, God knows how to overcome it, reverse it, and cause you to blast off into the stratosphere. Nobody but nobody can overcome negative momentum like God can. Amen. There is a God who specializes in reversing negative momentum and creating positive momentum. And I want you to know that. As I mentioned, the Zentla family is here and we're praying for them because we love their dad and we love them. But there is a God who can reverse your negative health diagnosis. The doctor may have said, I'm very sorry. I saw something on the x-ray. We're going to have to do some additional tests. And the normal response is to react with, oh no, I don't know what that means. But I want you to know this much, that even though you don't understand yet what it is you're facing, there is a God who can reverse it and make it work for your good. I wish I could hear an amen in the house somewhere. Why? Back to our text. With God, nothing 
is impossible. Nothing. Positive momentum can actually be a characteristic of divine favor. It's hard to find a story about greater negative momentum, and that's where I want to start. Not just with inertia, but negative momentum. It's hard to find a story about greater negative momentum than that of Israel being carried into Babylonian captivity because they had walked away from God and refused to turn to him in righteousness. Instead, they embraced sin and rebellion. Now, you know what God said to that? He said the same thing he always says to everybody. And God gets a bum rap because people say, why would God allow this and that to happen? He doesn't. You're under his covering of protection, but you know what happens so many times? Like Israel did in this circumstance, we say, we're going to go do our own thing, see you God, and we walk out from underneath the covering and the shelter of his grace and protection. And we become exposed to the attack of the enemy. That's exactly what happened to the nation of Israel. They would not come back under the covering. They would not be subjected to the leadership that God was trying to provide them. We know what we're doing. We don't need you telling us what to do. There are people that are like that, no doubt, in this very building right now. And they don't realize that the the failure to be submitted means that you're not under the covering. And God will let you just go ahead and do whatever you want to do. Because the one thing he won't do is control you. He's not a control freak. He doesn't need to control you to feel good about himself. He's God whether you obey or disobey or I obey or disobey. You understand what I mean? Some people have to control everything around them because otherwise they don't feel good about who they are. God's perfectly fine in who he knows himself to be. He's the self-existent and eternal one. Complete without anything being added to him. Hallelujah to the Lamb. I just felt that. Amen. And so you know what happens? Israel gets taken out of their promised land and carried off into Babylon in captivity. The book of Esther tells the amazing story of how God reversed all of that and brought them not only back out of captivity, but returned them to their homeland and like that rocket, They were given positive momentum. Ezra 5 verse 1 through 4. Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah the son of Edo. Prophets prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem. In the name of the God of Israel who was over them. There's your covering. While they were in captivity. They had a little talk with God. So we don't like what's happening God we need you. And they got back underneath the covering of God. So Zerubbabel, the son of Sheel, Latel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, rose up and began to build the house of God. Now watch this. Carried into captivity, King Cyrus, who was Cyrus the Great, he allowed them to return back to their homeland. And when they got there, they started building the house of God. Because they understood That what we messed up is we neglected God. So we're going to put God central in our lives again. 
And they began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And the prophets were with them, helping them. At the same time, Tatnai, the governor of the region beyond the river, and Shethar, Bosnai, and their companions came and spoke spoke thus to them, Who has commanded you to build this temple and finish this wall? Who who gave you permission to do this? Look, anytime you get ready to make God central in your life, watch it, the devil's going to show up. I promise you that he will. Anytime you begin to put God first, here comes the enemy and he's got a scratch pad and he's taking names. I'm going to report on you. I'm going to tell off on you. And I'm going to snitch. And you know what they said? They were not afraid to stand for righteousness. They looked at the enemy and said, okay, my name's Bob. His name's Joe. His name's David. His name's Eric. Right away. Go ahead. Take our names down. There is a point in your life where you need to be unabashedly a child of God and stand for what is right. Can I hear somebody in the building shout amen? Israel rebuilt the house of God because they understood that what set them apart was God's manifest presence that actually lived among his people. The scripture says, Ezra 5, 7, and 8, they, the enemies, then turned around and sent a letter to King Darius, who was now the king of the Persians. And it was written to King Darius or to Darius the king, all peace. Let it be known to the king that we went into the province of Judah to the temple of the great God, which is being built with heavy stones and timbers being laid in the walls. And this work goes on diligently and prospers in their hand. Prosperity is often associated with God's divine favor. And when they began to put God first, they began to prosper. Even their enemies acknowledged that God's people were prospering and they wanted it stopped. They hated seeing God's people be blessed. I just have a word for the devil. Get used to it. Because God's going to be first and we're going to continue to be blessed. That's a word for somebody in this house right now. You may be going through a rough place in your life, but you need to understand that if God remains first, you will prosper. And when I say prosper, there are some people that always take that to the wrong place. Like you want them prosperity preachers? Well, I guess I am because I believe my marriage can prosper, my health can prosper, my family can prosper, my kids can prosper, my grandkids can prosper. Hello, somebody. I believe that I can prosper emotionally in the middle of the storm. I can have peace that passes all understanding. Yes. It's not just about finances. It's not about having big cars and all of that kind of stuff. So you know what happened? When King Darius got that letter, remember it was King Cyrus that said they could go back and build it. Darius ordered a search of the royal archives in Ezra 6 verses 1 through 3. And a search was made where the treasures were stored in Babylon and at Metha in the palace that is in the province of Media, a scroll was found. Somebody found a word. And in it, a record was written thus. In the first year of King Cyrus, King Cyrus issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be rebuilt. 
King Darius discovered that Cyrus the Great, the first king of Persia, had authorized the people of God to return and build a house. But what they did not know was Jeremiah had already prophesied that he would do so. So God gave a word and to fulfill the word God gave, Darius issued a decree and I mean Cyrus issued a decree and now Darius is looking to see if they're legit, if they really have a a legal right to be there and he finds the original decree of Cyrus. Now I won't tell you why that blesses me because when God gives you a word, it creates momentum that the devil can't stop. And God may have given you a word years ago. And if that word has not come to pass and you messed up along the way, that word still lingers out there. And that word can still bear fruit and come to maturation in your life. God did not forget about who you are. Somebody give God some praise at his house right now. Hallelujah. And so Jeremiah gave a word. That word was still valid. And the king found it. And this is what he wrote in verse 6. Now, therefore, Tatnai, governor of the region beyond the river, and Shethor, Bosnai, and your companions, the Persians who are beyond the river, keep yourselves far from there. I absolutely love that. Because you may feel like the enemy has attacked you every day. But you get a hold of this word and begin to stand on the word and quote the word. You know what God will do. He'll tell the devil, back up, buddy, stay away. That's my child. I've got a promise hanging over their life. Hallelujah. Somebody shout hallelujah. I'm not saying there won't be challenges. Enemy's not going to move to another state. Satan's not going to retire. But God will say, that's as far as you can go. And then in verse 7, this is what Darius wrote. Let the work of this house of God alone. There can literally be a moment in your life when the God, when God, the God you serve, looks at the devil and says, not only back up, leave him alone. Enough is enough. I feel like I'm prophesying to somebody. Enough is enough. God's about to give you freedom. Let the work alone. Verse 8. Moreover, means in addition to all of that, not only do you need to back up and second, leave them alone. I got another one for you. I issue a decree as to what you shall do for the elders of these Jews for the building of this house of God. Let the cost be paid at the king's expense. From taxes on the region beyond the river. April is just around the corner. And just like you, I don't like to pay them taxes, but I got to. Wouldn't it be wonderful if God were to reverse the situation where the government said, let me, let me help y'all with some of that stuff down there. Because that's what the government did. Literally, King Darius said, let the cost be paid at the king's expense from taxes on the region beyond the river. This is to be given immediately. I need somebody to say immediately right now. Say it again, immediately. That's a word for somebody. Your help is not coming next week. It's coming immediately. 
You hear what I'm saying? Your help is not coming next month. It's coming immediately. I need somebody that needs an immediate miracle to give God some praise in this house. Immediately. Immediately. Amen. And then he said, so that they are not hindered. Not hindered. (laughs) I could spend some time on that one right there. Devil, you've been trying to block me. I go this way, you get in the road there. I go this way, you're standing over there. I go behind me, you're there. Every which way I go, I go up, you're there. Down, you're there. Devil, stop hindering these people. Amen. And here is the key to their blessing. You want to know why they were blessed? Verse 9 through 10. Whatever they need, the king went on to say, young bulls, rams, lambs for the burnt offerings of the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, and oil, according to the request of the priest who are in Jerusalem, let it be given them day by day without fail. Anybody need a day by day blessing? You're worried about six months from now. God said, I got six months from now. What I'm going to do is bless you day by 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 day. I got you in my hand. Amen. Why? That they may offer sacrifices of sweet aroma to the God of heaven. And then this, pray that they may pray for the life of the king and his sons. You know what happened? Darius, who was accustomed to worshiping gods with a little G, met some people that had a God with a big G. And Darius said, those are my gods with a little G. Here's their God with a big G. I think between mine and theirs, I'd rather have the blessing of theirs. So that's why he sent them back and that's why he funded their project because he said, I want them to be praying for the life of the king and his sons. Amen. God can bless you to such a degree that people know you've got a touch of God on your life and God wants to bless you so that they can see that touch on your life. You know why? Because ultimately he gets the glory out of it. And I have no problem giving him the glory. If I pray for somebody and a miracle happens, it wasn't me. It was God that did it. You can give him all the praise. Hallelujah. If we have church and I preach a message and it blesses somebody. Hey, it's not going to go to my head because you know what I'm doing? I had a pastor that did this many years ago, right after I got saved. You, you, you give me the compliment. I got a big old shovel and I just take it and I throw it right back at God. Amen. Because it wasn't me. It was him. I want to bless somebody. I want to serve somebody. I want to minister to somebody. I want to make somebody's life better. That's what Inspired Church is all about. So that when we make their life better, they'll look at the God we serve and say, that's my God. Hallelujah. Give him some praise somewhere. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In verse 11, God used King Darius to protect God's people from the attacks and evil machinations of their enemies. And he wrote, also I issue a decree that whoever alters this edict, let a timber be pulled from his house and erected and let him be hanged on it. 
and let his house be made a refuge heap because of this. And may the God who causes his name to dwell there destroy any king or people who put their hand to alter it or to destroy this house of God, which is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, issue a decree. Let it be done diligently. In other words, he prioritized the protection of the people of God Almighty. God can cover you. God can protect you. God can tell the enemy, I've got my hand on this child of God. They may not be perfect, but if you'll try to get your life straightened up with the principles of God's word, God will tell the enemy, back off, don't hinder them. I've got to work for them. I'm Oh, somebody in the building ought to say hallelujah. And he will say, angels, protect them diligently. And if you see anybody get out of the line, get out of line, they're going to pay the price for that. Now, here's the thing. The enemy knew to dare not disobey King Darius. So in verse 13, then Tatnai, governor of the region beyond the river, river, Sheth Bozni, and their companions diligently did according to what King Darius said. They obeyed him. So the elders of the Jews built and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. And they built and finished it. I need somebody to say, finish it finish it. That's a word for somebody. You're going to finish your race. Amen. You're going to finish your task. You're going to finish your assignment. Hello, the business you started, you're going to finish it. Hello, somebody. That means you're going all the way through. It might look rough right now. You're going to finish your calling. You're going to finish your ministry. Right now, the devil may be rejoicing, but you are going to finish it. And I need somebody that needs that in their life to shout, that's for me. Hallelujah. Y'all forgive me. I feel like I'm on fire today. Maybe I'm preaching to myself. There are amazing parallels in this story with our own experiences in life. This story is literally a case study in how to create momentum that is unstoppable. Amen. And I said a moment ago, isn't it strange? The enemy knows he's got to obey God. (laughs) But he tries to talk you and me into being disobedient. Y'all didn't catch that, did you? He knows he's got to obey. But he tells you, you don't have to. (laughs) Amen. That's because he knows he can't stop you unless there is disobedience in your life. Hello, somebody. And so the question as we read this in this case study is how do we create unstoppable momentum? That clock is a liar. It's a liar straight from the pit. It's broken. I know it is. Amen. I got to stop and I'm not even where I need to be yet. Amen. First of all, when we talk about prospering, understand what biblical prosperity is. Because verse 8 said that the complaint of the enemy was this work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. People think that prosperity is so many different things. But let me tell you what prosperity is. It's not easy. 
They think prosperity is reaching the point where there's no resistance. You don't have any challenges. You don't have any pushback. You know, the devil just, okay, if God said it, I'll get out of the way. and let, You know, I'll move to another state even. Amen. And, and no, he's never going to do that. Prosperity doesn't mean that the devil stops bothering you. The Hebrew word for prosper that is used there in verse 8 literally means to advance and to push forward. Push. That's why I gave you the text. I press toward the mark for the prize. You see that rocket taking off? It's pushing its way toward the sky. You don't just sit there and wait until there's no resistance. Amen. And so you got to learn to expect the devil to be the devil. You have to. He's, he's not going to resign. He's not retiring anytime soon. He's going to be the devil. But note that when God speaks a word, momentum starts there. Mm. One word from God can change everything. Everything. Somebody shouted and said, amen. King Darius issued a decree based upon the word. And that's what God does. God will speak over your life based upon the principles of his word. If you align with them, God will speak over you. And so here are the things that you can do to build momentum real quickly. Number one, enlist God's involvement. If God is for you, tell me who can be against you. Amen. One will put to flight a thousand and two will put to flight 10,000. When God is for you, no weapon formed against you can prosper. You'll walk through the water and not be overwhelmed. You'll go through the fire and not be consumed. When God is for you, no weapon is going to be successful. A thousand will fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You see what you got to realize is... It wasn't Israel winning all those battles all those years. We always think it was Israel that won all those battles. The psalmist said in Psalm 44 verses 1 through 4. We have heard with our ears, O God. Our fathers have told us the deeds that you did in their days, in days of old. You drove out the nations with your hand. But you planted them. You afflicted the people's. The pagans and cast them out for they did not speaking of Israel gain possession of the land by their own sword nor did their own arm save them but it was your right hand your arm and the light of your countenance because you favored them you are my king O God command victories for Jacob what was he saying He was saying that Israel didn't win the promised land, defeat all those organized armies and countries by themselves. They may have pulled their sword, but it wasn't their sword that won the battle. It was the sword of God and his sword is his word. So enlist God's involvement in your life. Number two, determine to do all you do is worship if you want momentum in your life. Do everything you do is worship. You know, years ago, anybody remember that song by Johnny Paycheck? Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. Is it okay to say that in church? Don't mean anything by it. Forgive me if I did wrong. It's just the name of a song. Well, there's some folk hate the job they're on. You know why? 
They're doing it for their boss and the boss doesn't appreciate them. They're doing it for the company and the company doesn't appreciate them. Or they're doing it to earn a paycheck. And what you really ought to be doing is saying this, God, I'm working for you. My work is worship unto the Lord. Whether it's driving a truck, working in a bank, whatever you might be doing, do it unto God as worship. Ezra 3, 2, then Jeshua, the son of Josedek and his brethren built, uh, his brethren, the priest and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel and his brethren arose and built the altar of God to offer burnt offerings on it. They, they were building the house of God so they could worship. Do what you do as a form of worship. Number three, decide to be obedient to God in your life. Look at what they did. Their offering of worship, the one they were going to offer on the altar, Ezra 3 and 2, was as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They got out from underneath the covering of God's protection, got hauled off into captivity and decimated as a nation. Their country destroyed. And when they were finally set free by a word from God, they said, we learned something, Lord. We're going to go along with the principles of your word now. And they made a decision to be obedient to the word of God as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Number four, I'm talking about how to create momentum in your life. Let's go through the first ones again. Enlist God's involvement. Pray fast. It still works. Read the word of God. Number two, determine to do all you do is worship. Not for your boss. Not for your family. Not for you. Not for the company. You're doing it unto the Lord. It's a form of worship. Number three, decide to be obedient in your life. And number four, choose not to be immobilized by fear. There's a lot of fear in our world right now. And notice that Israel moved forward with God's instructions in spite of their apprehensions and fears. Ezra 3 verse 3, the A clause It said they acted though fear had come upon them because of the people of those countries. You see, when they were building, the enemy came from all directions and said, what are you doing? We're going to write your name down. We're going to report you to the king. We're going to see that you get punished because of what you're doing. And you know what they did? They kept on building anyway. But this is important. They were afraid. That's the natural human response. Though fear had come upon them, they still acted. I know people that say you can't be afraid if you have faith. Oh, no. Uh-uh, you can be afraid. It's just you don't let fear immobilize you. Amen. There are times you will be afraid. That's human. That's the natural response. If you become ill and the test comes back positive for COVID with as many people who as, as have been catastrophically affected by that disease of course you're going to be concerned but that doesn't mean you don't have faith the doctor says i found a mass of course you're going to be concerned but that doesn't mean that you don't have faith if you hear there's going to be a layoff in two or three weeks of course you become concerned but that doesn't mean you don't have faith what i'm saying is keep believing god no matter what the devil tries to tell you Amen. Don't live your lives in fear and in terror. And number five, build an altar. Again, verse three, the B calls this time. They set the altar on its bases and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord. 
In other words, right from the beginning, they worshiped and didn't quit because of distractions. That's where many people go wrong, right there. First time there's a distraction, they quit. They give up on worship, stop going to church, miss a Sunday, whatever. I, I tried that Christian thing. It just didn't work real well. I gave my tithe. It didn't work. I gave an offering. I helped somebody. And now look at this. All this bad stuff. You have got to keep an altar in your life. And I want to ask you a, a question. If you want God's favor on your life, have you asked yourself this yet? Do you have an altar? I'm not talking about one like Israel made of stone or wood or brass. I'm talking about do you have a personal altar of devotion? Do you have an altar? Amen. I'm asking, do you take time each day, preferably in the morning, to begin your day with God, to read the word of God, to talk to God, to worship God? And I close. With this point, number six, talking about how to create momentum. Let me go through them real fast again. My time is over, so it's going to be very, very fast. Amen. Enlist God's involvement. Number two, determine to do all you do is worship. Number three, decide to be obedient to God. Number four, choose to not be immobilized by fear. Number five, build yourself an altar that you are faithful to visit regularly every day. And number six, keep sacred things sacred. That's a C clause of verse 3. Is Ezra 3. What I mean by keep sacred things sacred. Notice that they offered those offerings at that altar in the morning and in the evening. Woo. One of the most important things you can do is learn the principle of first things. The very first person you ought to talk to in the morning. When your eyes open up is God. Before you ever get out of bed and your eyes pop open, you ought to say, thank you, Lord, for letting me wake up this morning in my right mind. I'm glad I'm alive. I'm glad I'm healthy. I'm glad my family is alive. You've been good to me, God. Amen. In the Bible, the first things belong to God. The first child belong to God. The first animals born belong to God. First fruits of the harvest belong to God. And there's a principle here. Amen. Not only should the first person you greet in the morning be God, and as soon as you wake up before your feet even hit the floor, you're talking to God. Amen. Let the first thing you do every day be to read the Word of God before you reach for the remote control. If the world ended last night, you would know it by now without turning on the TV. Amen. You don't need to watch all the negative news first thing in the morning. That's not how you start your day. You get the word of God out that says, I'm blessed coming in and I'm blessed going out. And I'm blessed when I sit down and I'm blessed when I stand up. Amen. And let me go a little bit further. Don't make the first thing you do be to check your Facebook page. Amen. Or Instagram. Doesn't really matter how many likes your plate of spaghetti got last night, that picture you posted. Amen. It doesn't really matter. In the morning, let the first thing you do be to get this book and center yourself once again in preparation for everything that's going to happen that day. Spend a few minutes in the Word of God. 
And the first thing you listen to, let it be worship music. If you haven't signed up for the daily devotional yet, you ought to. They're going to put it up on the screen in a few minutes. Because I include a verse of scripture, a brief explanation, commentary on it. Then I pray that scripture and then I include a worship song. And we have over 1,600 families, right up at 1,650 families that have signed up for that. We all do our devotions together. And you can start the day and the first thing you do, be God. But can also say this, why don't you close the day with God too? And let the last thing you be before do before you go to bed at night, let the last thing you do be to say, thank you for keeping me today. Thank you for blessing me. Thank you for watching over me. Thank you. I made it through another day. Thank you. The grace of God kept me one more day. Hallelujah to the lamb of God. Hallelujah. May I had some struggles along the way. Learn to say these words, but I'm still here. Amen. Say it. I'm still here. Stand with me across the building. If you really want to experience favor, start the day with God and close it with God. Doing it in the morning and in the evening is the same equivalent as the morning and the evening sacrifice.